politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property like we've never fought before. If that is your goal, substance over style. Well, this is your place. Daniel Horowitz, Blaze Media. It is Thursday, right before Memorial Day weekend. I will be out tomorrow, so we're going to try to pack it all in today for this long Memorial Day weekend as we commemorate the ultimate sacrifice of those who sacrificed for a once great country, but a country that is now a rotting, maggot-infested carcass. So when you're a maggot-infested carcass, what, what, what are you pining for? What are you longing for? Do you want a boring republic to be restored or exciting hell? Well, we're about to find out. But that is our choice. Now, I know a lot of you probably think right away, oh, you mean, well, the boring republic is DeSantis and the exciting hell is Trump running, but then ultimately we'll probably get Biden. Yeah, kind of, but not completely. Because frankly, this was the choice we've had for so long, certainly before just a few months ago where DeSantis was rumored to be a presidential candidate, But even before Trump came about, long before he came about, this has always been our problem. The one thing I like about DeSantis' slogan, decline is a choice, success is attainable, it really is true. Unlike other people that have more of a doom and gloom mentality, similar to mine, I'm only doom and gloom because I believe, as I always say, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. If we actually had a movement that focused like a laser beam on the mission, on the policies, personnel, leverage points, at least in half the country, we would achieve what we could be doing. So I want to go back a little bit farther that the reason we are where we are today is because of this focus on entertainment. We have this entertainment class on the right, not a serious group of thinkers, doers, And that's why we are where we are at a federal level, and we'll get into a state level as well. Um, As always, we are going to focus on the news of the day, the DeSantis announcement, in a way that no one else really is. Because ultimately, we're going to focus on what matters and the way it matters, the time it matters. And speaking of the time it matters, some of you might feel like you missed the window to plant trees and shrubs and flowers in your garden in your front or backyard, it's not too late. If your lawn looks kind of underwhelming and your neighbor's looks exciting, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative right now. You get 15% off your entire order by going to that link. Well, what's fast-growing trees? Rather than going to Lowe's or some sort of you know, local store, they ship it to you very neatly so you don't have to worry about it tipping over in your car Uh, transporting it. They have the best quality. I can't tell you how many times I was really excited and I was like, man, that's really, you know, colorful. That will make my lawn look good. And then it it just dies on you. So at Fast Growing Trees, they have a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee. Uh, They also have a tool on their website for those of you who don't know what you want. So you divide up by shade, privacy, um, beauty, whatever you want. They have it there. My lawn has been transformed because of fast-growing trees. 
So make sure you make the best of your lawn while you still can, and you still could own property in this country. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative right now, 15% off. So folks, here's the deal. There's going to be talk all day about the theatrics, about the horse race, the politics of the politics, the 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 moment of you know the theatrics. Uh, the Trump people will say, ha, 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 you had a, a glitch because it failed for 20 minutes there, the Twitter space. And the DeSantis people will say, no, there were so many people who wanted to listen that it crashed. None of that's going to matter in the scheme of things. To me, you know, I, I, I was never big into Twitter space. I, I would have rather, from my end, emotion, emotionally satisfaction or emotional satisfaction of a big sermon on the mount, like, this is what's going on. This is how we're screwed. This is how Trump's failed to deliver. Um, but this is what they chose. You know, take it for what it is, whether you think that was the right choice or wrong choice, horse race-wise. But ultimately, what I think everyone saw was this. Those who cared about policy were like, wow, that's kind of refreshing. The guy just speaks extemporaneously on one issue after another. He seems to enjoy it. And that, that's been my experience with him for, for 11 years. And obviously, people like Trump are saying, boring, boring. And this is ultimately what it's going to boil down to. Is what we're going on, is what we're confronted with bad enough that you're seeking change? Or do you enjoy the status quo as long as it's a show? Would you rather exciting hell over a boring republic? And I don't just mean, oh, the boring republic is... DeSantis, first of all, it won't be boring because he's actually going to implement the policies, so you will have your fights with the left. It's not like you won't fight with them. Believe me, they're going to fight you, but you'll actually have a better chance of winning. But this is why we are where we are. This is why we are where we are. There is something that I find a lot more interesting yesterday than really anything else going on. Nothing to do with DeSantis's announcement. To me, this is the most important development yesterday that embodies why we are where we are and where we need to get if we want to change. And at the same time, it draws out why this distinction between the two candidates of policy acumen and competency and backbone to implement it matters. And that is, yesterday, I, I don't have the audio in front of me, but you could find this all over the place. The Trump team put out some sort of an ad, and they hit out all these extremely dishonest things, I mean, just pure lies about DeSantis that rather than elevating the discussion, it's just it's just stupid and it's gonna bring Trump further to the left rather than further to the right, which you know we all win if they're both pivoting to the right. Instead, Trump's running to his left. But among several things, he attacked him for supposedly voting against the border wall. I'm like, whoa. Where did that happen? So at first I thought he meant this Goodlatte bill at the time, which the Freedom Caucus voted against, 
because it had Kushner's amnesty in it. So they might have said, well, have border security, but it had amnesty in it. But then I realized, no, it's not that. Do you know what it was? It was the March 23, 2018 Cromnibus bill. It was the worst bill of the Trump presidency. It was the high watermark of his leverage that he could have accomplished more, but instead tossed an interception. It is the embodiment of the dichotomy between his talk and his action. It is why we are where we are today on the debt and size and weaponization of government as well as the border. It is literally that bill. He criticized DeSantis for not voting for the worst bill of his presidency that his globalist Treasury Secretary Mnuchin crafted with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell with the majority of Democrats. More Democrats voted for it than Republicans. So it wasn't just DeSantis. I mean, every not, not even just the Freedom Caucus, but any half-baked conservative voted against it. It was just the rhinos who um, voted for it. I mean, everyone, every conservative who backed Trump, like people like Matt Gates or whatever, they all, of course, voted against it. And they think we're stupid. Or do they? Are they shamelessly lying? Or does the Trump team have no shame and they really don't think they did anything wrong? It is Orwellian. It is Orwellian. Now, I know DeSantis, he didn't hit Trump in his, like, Twitter space thing. But afterwards, he actually did touch on omnibuses. And I think he was probably referencing this. But anyway, let's go back into history. Okay, let's go back into history here. Because this is, this is really, really important. I mean, this is probably the crux of why we are where we are. It was a 2,000-page bill written within hours of when it was slammed on the floor by Paul Ryan. And... Here's the thing. Let me just set the stage for this. Republicans had a rare trifecta, but it's not just any trifecta. Trump was this big new thing that was going to be Hitler to the Democrats. He was going to destroy them. So remember, the left mobilized in in anticipation that he would be a game changer. This is very important. He taunts the left as if he's going to kill them. So they mobilized. When I say mobilized, I don't just mean with Antifa and the mobs and the street violence. I mean, with their legal defense, their policy, their legislation, their cultural stuff, everything they do. So if you fail to actually deliver and floor the gas pedal, you will be left worse off than you are before him. So they did a bunch of things. One of the things was immigration. They floored the gas pedal on the border they, they worked with these NGOs to bring in more illegals. Then they started sanctuary cities. Where, where, you know, the, the concept existed before, but it really took off under Trump in response to him. And, I, and again, I don't blame Trump for their reaction, but this is important. So basically, most illegal aliens live in blue areas. So if you get every blue area to say they're going to block ICE, well, you know, that's going to make it very hard. So... We needed to build the wall, we needed more resources for ICE, and we needed to cut off funding to sanctuary cities. This was his promise. But yet, here we were, 13 months into Trump's admin. Okay? 
And this is very important because you don't usually get trifectas for a long time. Ultimately, he lost it later that year. They lost the House, just like Obama only had the trifecta for two years. Your first two years of your first term of presidency, you cannot afford to squander that. This was his signature issue. Well, Daniel, they had the filibuster in the Senate. Well, this is why the budget bills were so important. And so far, every budget bill, until then, he killed us on. Every budget bill vitiated every promise up until then. Okay, May 2017, that was the first budget bill. Every Senate Senate Democrat voted for it. Do you know that? His first budget, every, every Senate Democrat voted for it. That's how terrified they are of Trump, how transformational it was. 18 Republicans, the more conservative ones, obviously, voted no. In the House, all but 15, which is a low number in the House, of Democrats voted for it. Republicans were split down the middle with all the conservatives voting no. Then again, in September of that year, you had the, the, the need for FY 2018's budget. September 7, 2017, every Democrat supported his next budget. 17 Republicans voted no. Every single House Democrat voted for it. 90 Republicans voted no. So that was his first year. Unfreaking believable. It's unprecedented. He was he he literally was a Democrat. He took Obama, and we were like, Obama's killing us, the woke and the, the, the transformation and the border and the spending levels. He blew out Obama's spending levels. And then you would think, okay, he's, he's a big spender, fine. But he's going to spend on the border, right? No. You got everything but the border. And that sets us up for March 2018, which is the bill that's the subject of this political ad. Um, first, our political ad, which won't lie to you. Folks, we have, for the next two months, a lot of you are on vacation. You have kids off of school. What are you going to do with them? Visit Disney World? No, how about visit Fredericksburg, Texas? You could visit the Alamo, but also go for the five-day defensive handgun training at Patriot Academy's new campus. They have the best, most meticulous, and funnest training, which will teach you not just how to shoot properly, but how to win a gun battle, a defensive situation, clearing malfunctions, um, amazing drills on how to properly draw from the holster, shoot you know, headshots from seven yards away, uh, two shots to the chest from 10 and 15, time shots. It is truly unbelievable. Patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. I hope to come to one of the next ones soon, um, but I have a lot of scheduling issues, but don't don't let me stop you. Take yourself and a friend. A lot of you have already come. You know how great it is. Bring a, f- a friend, bring family. Patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So, it comes to this bill, and yeah, just like the other ones, all but six Democrats in the Senate vote against it. 26 Republicans in the Senate vote against it. 77 Dems opposed in the House. 90 Republicans opposed in the House. So, basically, basically, when you break it down, When you break it down here, 
every single bill, I want you to listen carefully, every single major budget bill that Trump passed had more Democrat support. The reason I bring that up is because typically the Trump people and, and, and you know the general conservative talk radio even before Trump, because Trump is not new to this. Trump just promised to change it and in Orwellian fashion made the GOP establishment great again in a spectacular fashion. But the point is, Republicans were always like, but the Democrats. They, they judge their success not by a true north of where we need to head towards, but, you know, oh, but the Democrats this. How much the Democrats complain about you is how much you are achieving things. Well, for all the talk about how bad Trump was, the budget bill is all that matters. Especially in the modern era where we don't really have regular order and a legislative process. And every single budget bill of Trump's presidency had more Democrat support than Republican support, this one including. Now, what happened was Trump started to realize, holy smokes, we're already headed into the midterms. Historically, the incumbent party loses in the midterms. The polling was horrible for them. It looked very likely they were going to lose the House. We really got to do something here. Okay? You know, here you are, and your number one promise you have not fulfilled. The border wall. So what they did was they passed a 2,000-page bill. It busted the budget caps. This is important. The only successful spending cuts we've ever secured this generation was in the Tea Party in response to Obama when the GOP took over the House. They hijacked the debt ceiling, just like this time, and they had the Budget Control Act. And we would have structured it differently, but it got, got some sort of control there. Okay, fine. Now, Trump was like, oh, but the, it cuts military spending, which is a racket, but whatever. So he, we were told Trump wasn't going to be a neocon, but he used the neocon excuses. Look, we got to build up the military, yada, yada. So it busted the budget caps. And this is important because that paved the way for the COVID spending and it paved the way for the very debt and inflation that we are now debating today. And by the way, as of this second, it looks like McCarthy is caving. I don't think the House conservatives are going to allow him to go through with it, but his messaging is awful on this. But anyway, this is not just spilt milk. We are in this position. Debt inflation, and border because of Trump not only failing to rise to the occasion with that unprecedented level of power, this was the pinnacle of his power, this was the last opportunity before they lost the trifecta, and he laid an egg. It didn't defund sanctuary cities, it didn't give the ice spending. If you look at Trump's budget proposal, which was actually a very good proposal, he had a very good OMB director. We have him on the show sometimes to this day, Russ Vote, And he put out a good budget. Trump put out a good budget because of that was one of his only cabinet members who was good. It's just when push came to shove, he didn't follow a single thing. So it was, it was Orwellian. Every single account that he said he would cut or eliminate, like NPR and you know, you know, foreign aid, he actually ex- expanded. So it's not just a budget number. But again, when we talk about this woke and weaponized government that we've come to realize, they were given 10, 20% spending increases. They just gobbled up this new money. And then on the border, what about the border funding? This is how Orwellian that, that lying ad is. It funded 33 miles of border wall, 
which they already had the funding for, so it gave nothing. But here's the thing. It actually, the Democrats put in a provision. And by the way, I have an article at the time, so this is not just like retrospective research. I literally said this at the time. You can go back. I, you know, some of us have a paper trail following every budget bill and policy long before Trump ever became a thing, long before DeSantis came, became a thing. So again, this is not about Trump and DeSantis. This is about why we are where we are and where we need to head. It barred the use of the funding for concrete barriers. So it said you can't use concrete. So it actually weakened border law because let's not forget, you didn't need authority to build a wall. That was the Secure Fence Act of 2006. They needed appropriations. They had the authority. And under that bill, they could build any sort of prototype. This actually limited. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't say at the time because I didn't want to look like I was too critical of Trump in the sense like nothing's good enough and we're trying to just get something. But he, he, he was the one who made a big deal about the prototype. And in the, in, in the end, they went through this see-through bollard fencing. And I understand they say they want Border Patrol to see what's going on. But the bottom line is it's easily they, they have these um, electric saws and they just cut through it. They ban the use of concrete barriers, which is ultimately would have been more effective. And they say DeSantis voted against it. Trump literally, some of you might remember this, at the vetoing, at not the he didn't veto at the signing ceremony. He's like, look, I got to sign this, but I'm never going to sign a bill like this again. Now, by the way, he, he lied and every single subsequent budget bill he signed was exactly like that omnibus Massive spending increases, none of our policies, but left-wing policies, and that's it. That's it. That is when he lost the presidency. This was, by the way, this was long before COVID. Now, they know they're lying that it didn't build the wall, because afterwards what happened was Trump lost the election. They got crushed. A whole... 2018 is really when you got this rise of this just new level Democrat that got elected all over the country. So again, in response to Trump, the left successfully mobilizes, but he doesn't floor the gas pedal. So we were left actually negative. And then at that point, it was like, so you had another budget deadline during the lame duck. So Republicans technically had control, but they were about to lose it. So finally then, Trump was like, I'm not signing it. So then for the first time, we got him to force a fight because he realized, holy smokes, I ain't getting my wall. So that's when we had the government shut down. Eventually, Trump caved on it in January. And then that's why he had to repro. But he said, I'm going to do it executive, declared an emergency, reprogrammed some DOD funding, and got a few hundred miles. Okay, not a thousand miles. Not, not 1,500 miles, not 2,000 miles, a few hundred they got. Okay, it was better than nothing, but far short of his promise. But that was, but he, oh, the point is, he had to get that because the bill he signed before did not do that. Now, Twitter did put some sort of community notice on his thing. I don't like when they do that because they'll do it to us, but it happens to be the Twitter people were right on that. It was a complete lie. But again, my point here is not so much like, oh, you know, Trump is a shameless liar and he knows better attacking him for something that was a liberal thing that 
again, you talk about the Orwellian nature of this, how they accuse everyone of being a globalist and Paul Ryan. He literally wrote the bill with Paul Ryan. DeSantis and conservatives led the fight against Paul Ryan. And now he's running an ad against DeSantis for not supporting the Paul Ryan destruction of the trifecta. And by the way, there's more to talk about on that. But this is, the punchline is, this tells me Trump would do this again because he's not focused on details. You listen to DeSantis like, yeah, details kind of boring. Trump's exciting. Yeah, but who gets the job done? Through all of his theatrics, this is not, I, I predicted he would do this when he ran in 2016, but I understand. People didn't see it. And Ted Cruz was the alternative. He's just a talker. He's a senator. He didn't really have a, much of a record. But now we have records from both of them on implementation. That is the strongest thing. Everything else is BS. That is what matters. When Trump was up to bat, th this is like... You know, you know, basically where Trump was, the equivalent of bases loaded, two outs, bottom of the ninth, and let's say you're down one or two or three. So the point is, there's no middle ground. If you don't produce that hit, you lost. And it's the same thing. There's no middle ground with Trump because when you threaten the left like that, they mobilize. If you don't crush sanctuary cities, you're actually going to have a worse border flow than you had under Obama, which we did. And by the way, it was because of the failure then, it was later in 2018 that the Trump border flow began. 2018, 2019, it was only shut down because of COVID. And again, all of the debt and inflation we are dealing with today and weaponization, the resources of the, these agencies and DOJ to do what they did came from Donald J. Trump making Barack Hussein Obama look like Barry Goldwater. Our final sponsor today, once you learn how to shoot at Patriot Academy, how do you practice? All too often, you go to the range, you get good, ah, then you run out of ammo. You don't have the time and the money to keep going and shooting. That's why I recommend dry fire practice with iTarget Pro. iTargetPro.com. Offer code CR for for basically if you go there, you get a laser uh, dummy bullet or now you can get the iTarget cube. So you get several cubes. So it's not just one board. You could set up cubes throughout your house, sync it with your app and do real scenarios, multiple attackers in different rooms. And you practice sight alignment, trigger control, drawing from the holster you can do. Again, by the way, make sure you follow the rules. There's no one in the house. You know, you have no real ammo on you and only point in a direction that you feel comfortable pointing. Um, you, will, you will get 90% of the realistic experience at a range and even better because at the range, they're not going to let you, you know, shoot and move. Um, so this is really what professionals do. You save 10% off plus free shipping with offer code CR when you go to the letter I, targetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com. Come. So, by the way, I'm not finished here. It's not just this stuff. 
So you might say, well, Daniel, it's a budget bill. You can't necessarily put all of your policy riders to it. Okay, it actually did have policy riders. Do you know that the gun control provision, the Fix Nicks bill, the first gun control bill signed in years, just like Trump signed the first jailbreak bill in years, and if had he had a second term, I promise you, he would have signed the first amnesty bill in years, that weaponizes DOJ and the states to go after gun owners. And and by the way, there was a better version. They were both bad, but the House had a better version that had more due process. And it also had a reciprocity. Trump, at least if you're going to do that, say, I'll give you fixed next Dems, but you have to give me reciprocity. They took out the reciprocity. That was in the freaking bill. There's a whole bunch of things. I have at the time top 10 problems. I called it an act of political adultery. What was done with a GOP trifecta. You, you had to have lived in the time to understand the level of betrayal. The level of betrayal. That was a greater bill. Chuck Schumer praised it. People forget this. This was before COVID. I'm sick of people saying he was good on everything except for COVID. I would say more like he was good mainly on foreign policy, but on domestic policy, he sucked. And domestic policy is ultimately what matters. A lot more. Foreign policy is overrated. So, this is the reality. And then thereafter, he promised, I'll never sign another bill again like that. Okay, well then you had, later on, the FY 2019 Cromnibus, six months later, September 18, 2018, every Democrat except Bernie uh, supported it, but six conservatives, the few conservatives you have in the Senate, opposed it. All but five Dems opposed the bill in the House. 56 Republicans opposed it, including Ron DeSantis. Um, so the Freedom Caucus, basically. Um, then the, 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 the trillion-dollar farm bill. You cannot imagine that farm bill, what that did with the consolidation of monopolies that harms our food security, not just the debt. It's Again, it's not just that he was bad on spending, which I think we always knew he would be, but it's the weaponization. Every Democrat, every single Senate Democrat supported Trump's farm bill. Everyone! Biden, Warren, you know, Durbin, whatever you had back then, Bernie, 13 Republicans, the ones that you and I would want to support, opposed it. All but three House Dems supported it. It's basically unanimous, like, you know, almost 200 Dems. 44 Republicans opposed it. The FY 2019 Homeland Security omnibus bill that caved on the government shutdown without funding the border, opposed by all but three Dems in the Senate, and by the way, a fun fact, all those three Democrats were running for president at the time. Might have been like Kirsten Gillibrand, um, uh, what's her name, Amy Klobuchar. Um, I, I don't, I forget the third one. So that's just because for the Dem base, you don't, you know, you want to just always vote no on a budget bill. Um, but every, essentially unanimous, but 13 Republicans getting voted no. All but 19 Democrats 
voted no in the House, but 109 Republicans, 109, meaning the majority of House Republicans, voted against Trump's cave. This guy was such a cuck. I mean, look, people forget. At the time, I was firm. I was committed. I wasn't bitter. I wasn't going to say the whole time, like, Trump's betraying us, Trump's betraying us. I tried to appeal to him. I said, look, don't do this. Veto it. Veto it. Don't do this, Mr. President. Even though I knew it was his administration that crafted and negotiated the bill. Usually, the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, obviously often, um, you know, Kirshner was involved and and other clowns. But... um, you know, this this is what it was. There were often the Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense who were idiots were involved in that. Then you had the debt ceiling and the busting of the budget caps in August 2019. Only four Dems voted no when it passed. 24 Senate Republicans voted no. Just 16 of the 200-whatever Democrats voted no in the House. Two Thirds of Republicans voted no. Now, again, some of those people were like, hope yes, vote no type of thing. But the point is, this is how bad it was. The FY 2020 continuing resolution, month later, supported by every single Senate Democrat, opposed by 16 Republicans. In the House, opposed by just three of the 225 or so Democrats, yet it was opposed by 76 of, of course, the most conservative House Republicans. And then finally, the end of his presidency during the lame duck, December 21st, 2020, he had nothing to lose. A 5,593-page omnibus bill, the longest in American history. COVID bailouts for the states and the education cartel that shut down our government that he promised he wouldn't do. Supported by every single Senate Democrat, opposed by the six most conservative Senate Republicans, supported by all but two House Democrats, but opposed by the 50 most conservative Republicans, which are his most ardent supporters. And as they say, the rest is history. So folks, this is a lot more about than about the theatrics of here and now. And, you know, every day we're going to have the scorecard between who had a better, you know, gotcha moment, DeSantis or Trump. But the bottom line is, the the dichotomy you're getting between the two candidates is the dichotomy we've had long before DeSantis, which is, do you focus on substance or theatrics? You guys might be listening to me and thinking, how in the world did we live through that and there wasn't outrage? Yeah, I have the same question. If you remember, remember at the time, I was like, what the hell are you guys doing on talk radio? Hold the guy accountable. Tell him to veto it. And we we could barely get any focus. It was always, yeah, but the Democrats are calling Trump names, so we have to defend him. Like, I'm like, dude, you're not getting anything, and we're going to be screwed. We are where we are today because when we had the ball, nobody cared about scoring points. They cared about taking selfies, holding pictures of the ball. It is just pathetic. Decline is a choice. Success is attainable. Now, one of the things from last night I would advocate if I were advising the campaign, 
I would say he needs to do more. See, I don't like that format so much for an announcement. That's just me. But I think going forward, he needs a lot of that Q&A. Just ask him about policy and just let him go. Let him go. No prepared remarks. I think that would be really good to do in the future. Um, what else do we have here? Okay, here, here's another thing. DeSantis did a couple of interviews there after he's doing interviews all today. He did an interview on Mark Levin's show. And he made a very important point that was prescient because I just made the same point, not against Trump, but against Tim Scott. So everyone's like, I'm going to appoint originalist judges. But as you well know, it's the same thing like I'm going to appoint a Republican elected official. Yeah, they might be better than the Dem, but there's a huge difference between a Clarence Thomas and a Brett Kavanaugh. And not just on the Supreme Court, but all throughout the appellate and district courts. So DeSantis actually made an important point last night on Levin Show, and he said, look, you could have a lot of vacancies, and I think everyone agrees that if you have a Republican president, Clarence Thomas absolutely will retire. He's getting old, and I, I, I don't think that's a secret. I think it's pretty obvious he is going to retire on the watch if you have a Republican president, Republican Senate, Thomas is gone. And he made the point, like, you know, we often focus on the need to flip, you know, the Democrat seats and that. But here, when you, if you lose Thomas, he said, I, I'm just paraphrasing, that's not enough just to appoint any kind of like pretty good guy. You know, you need to find a guy that's totally like him. Now, I'm not going to reveal who this is, but yesterday... I was texting with a conservative justice on a federal appeals court, and I will just say that would probably be my top pick. That guy would be a Clarence Thomas, whereas if you leave it to the Federalist Society, you won't necessarily get that. Now, to be fair, I don't blame Trump for that. I blame the conservative movement for Kavanaugh and, and these guys being uh, Amy Barrett underwhelming on many, many issues, except for the abortion issue. But this is literally DeSantis's wheelhouse. Um, he, he, I mean, he knows these guys. He's a constitutional lawyer. He gets it. This is his wheelhouse. So he is very keen on not just like, oh, I want an, a, a Republican justice. No, I mean, he knows exactly what he wants, and he'll get it. That, that, that's a forgotten aspect of this. Um, the Supreme Court picks, everyone's like, oh, Trump was so good. I mean, it's all relative. It's Trump had the opportunities just out of luck that that um, they were able to hold over Scalia's seat for him. Then Kennedy retires and you flip that. And then Ginsburg retires with a Republican president and a Republican Senate. So he had a, an amazing opportunity. He did not fully utilize it. You know, any Republican versus Dem nominee, you're going to certainly move the court over to the right, which it did. It could have been much better for free. And remember, the Democrats are going to go to nuclear war over anyone. They'll threaten to blow up the court no matter what. Heck, they did it over Kavanaugh, who's Karl Rove in a robe. So you may as well get a guy who actually really is a Nazi. Wink, wink. You know, the way they view a Nazi. Um, not someone who they claimed to be, but actually isn't. The bottom line is, to me, the most important thing he said 
last night, which is not a remarkable statement. It's actually cheap talk from anyone else. But it's because of his record that it rings true. I think even my worst critics in Florida will acknowledge, when I tell people I'm going to do something, I don't make promises or say I'm going to do something lightly. I've thought it through, and I know that I'm going to follow through on what I tell people I'm going to do. And, and we talked about this with the drag shows backing down, Publix backing down on child vaccination, and him sticking the landing with the corporate culture, the corporations back off. There's a story from Florida's Voice. Axia shared a story of an undocumented migrant leaving Florida after DeSantis signed an anti-immigration bill, illegal immigration bill. One migrant arrived in Tampa at six years old but plans to move to another state because of the new law. I love Florida. I love the weather. I love the people. But I knew we had to leave when I read what the law was. It isn't safe. And I'm looking at that and like, this is exactly the point. There's nothing remarkable about what DeSantis espoused and even the laws he passed. But what is remarkable is he's the only one who will actually stick the landing. See, here's the thing. For the remainder of this presidential election, forget about, forget about Trump, but even Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, with a few notable exceptions like Ukraine and, and, and COVID and whatever, generally, they're going to tap into our anger. They're going to say what we want to hear. I mean, Nikki Haley will talk about woke this and, and woke that and, you know, the censorship. They'll, they'll talk about it. They'll talk about the border. They'll talk about illegal immigration. Now, what distinguishes them is, I think where Trump and DeSantis are different from the others is legal immigration. Although within that, Trump was all talk and no action on legal immigration. Uh, you know, Actually, in some respects, it got worse. Mick Mulvaney was horrible there with that, with the H-1Bs. I actually did articles on it at the time. Mick was his um, OMB director. Now he's not even supporting him. But DeSantis actually will stick the landing. But the point is, um, on most issues, they're going to say the same thing. Like, most of them will say we have too much debt. They'll all say that. But when push comes to shove, they won't have the guts to, to engage in brinkmanship on a budget bill. Which leads me to the final frontier here. The debt ceiling. And why we need an advocate who understands the issue and is willing to fight for our cause. Because we don't have that. We certainly won't get it under Trump. <laughs> because look at the last four years of history. I read to you. I mean, that wasn't just a betrayal. Trump committed political adultery against us. I mean, that was worse than George W. Bush budget bills. It was awful. Just awful. But here we are. Kevin McCarthy. Basically, they're not fighting on the Green New Deal. They're not fighting on more serious spending cuts. They're just going to have freezing current levels of spending and some half-baked work requirements on some welfare programs, which is not even the issue. Honestly, I'll be honest with you. My whole life for 20 years, I've been advocating against the welfare state. It's corrosive. It creates dependency. It's, it's, it's a problem in many ways. 
it's not nearly as problematic as the discretionary bureaucratic spending, which is the woke and weaponized government. You know what I'm saying? I would rather have food stamps than more spending on DOJ and HHS. So they gave in on defunding the IRS, extra IRS agents. They gave in on the Green New Deal. And it's not even good good, good messaging, so you're going to engage in brinkmanship over a couple of top-line spending numbers that are within the margins. By the way, the poll, Republicans are so pathetic. Do you know, so historically, every time you polled people, who do you blame if you're going to do debt default? Which is a lie. There's no default, but Republicans are incapable of messaging that. Or who do you blame for a government shutdown? Always, they say, we're going to blame Republicans. I saw Politico and Washington Post reporters were like, they were shocked. Several polls are out there that A, show most people want um, spending cuts attached to a debt ceiling increase. Um, And the polling on a a so-called blank check is horrible. And B, they would actually blame Biden. So it's unbelievable how Republicans are caving. So this is my point. We've been to where we are because we don't have people focused on substance. So we don't have people focused on on what I am, the leverage points, the budget bills, the states, the this, the that. So Trump is just the latest flavor of it. But he's even worse because he gets the hard right to stand down. So we have less opposition against the establishment than we typically would have had, frankly, because he has become the establishment. He is the establishment. And also, he goads the left into being bolder than ever. So then the consequences of failing is even worse. And that's just the way we are. That's where we are today, folks. That's just how it is. It's truly sad. You know, you look at the contrast. All these states, Louisiana and Texas, Republicans are failing to produce anything with super majorities. Here's an article from Alpha News, a great outlet in um, um, Minnesota. So, like I said, they have a narrow House majority and a one-seat Senate majority, and it's very tenuous. They could lose it because historically Republicans control the Senate. But the minute they get a one-seat trifecta in just four months, four months, Democrats establish a fundamental right to an abortion in all nine months of pregnancy. Declared Minnesota a refuge for child-seeking sex changes. Passed the Take Pride Act, which will prohibit nonprofits that serve minors from discriminating based on gender identity and hiring practices. Passed protections for women who travel to Minnesota for abortions. Repealed protections for babies who survive abortions. Stripped pregnancy resource centers of state funding. Gutted reporting requirements for abortion facilities. Expanded medical assistance to induce abortion, repealed an informed consent law for abortion, legalized marijuana, increased government spending by 40%, raised the gas tax, um, created a new delivery tax on all retail orders over $100, increased sales tax for and fees for vehicle purchases and registration, passed a metro-wide sales tax increase, enacted automatic voter registration, pre-registration for 16, 17-year-olds, joined the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, funded a 
study on ranked choice voting, passed a bill to provide driver's licenses to illegals, passed a bill to provide health care to illegal immigrants, restored the right to vote to felons who are on probation, created a commission to design a new state flag. I don't know what, what they have wrong with that. Replaced Columbus Day with Indigenous People's Day, declared Juneteenth the state holiday, raised the threshold for political party to attain or maintain major party status for five from five percent to eight percent passed the bill to require minnesota's electricity grid be a hundred percent carbon free by 2040 banned conversion therapy passed two gun control bills including red flags and background checks provided free college at state institutions to, to students with families with incomes under eighty thousand, passed the bill to provide free lunch and breakfast to everyone regardless of income increased spending on the uh, education eight ten uh, percent banned Native American mascots, raised fees for fishing, boating, and visiting state parks, created a hate speech database, banned no-knock warrants, created a program that will allow inmates who complete certain programming to serve half their sentence, created a state-run paid leave program that will raise taxes on employers and employees, established a new legal avenue for prosecutors to seek lower sentences, <laughs> funded a new office of restorative practices, that will basically allow like juveniles never to serve prison time no matter what they do. Commissioned a study on abolishing cash bail. Created a new public database that will assign climate scores to large businesses. Capped rebate checks at 260 per filer with income limits and down from $1,000. So another way to raise taxes. So um, this is one legislative session, folks, with a one-seat majority. <laughs> yeah. I'm I love the Democrats. I love them. I love that they believe. They focus. They're mission-oriented. Don't we need people who are mission-oriented? And by the way, nothing personal to DeSantis, but this legislative session blows out his. Because his things are not like the right-wing equivalent of what they did. They're just normal and sane. You know, it's not like it's just like you totally ban the left or whatever. I mean, it weakens a lot of their power. But it's not like the right-wing equivalent of that. I, I can't even think of what the right-wing equivalent of that would be. That would be like banning homosexuality or something. Literally, I mean, that, that, that's what they did in the other way. Like, like banning it, which no one does. Um, you know, anyone who, who you know, promotes transgenderism, not, not just like drag shows for minors, but transgenderism gets, gets crim, criminal penalties. There is no equivalent. This is what Democrats do in somewhat of a swing state. I mean, it's not really a swing state, but but at a state legislature level it is just because of the map, because there's a lot of red parts of the state. Uh, and, and, you know, just the way that Democrats, their, their voters are confined to certain areas, so Republicans have an unnatural outsized advantage in, in, in just raw seats. I mean, this is unbelievable. Why can't we have that? There is only one person who is not just espousing this, but has a record that he's willing to do this. Try. He's not going to be perfect. He needs support. He needs multiple people doing that. He needs us to raise the bar that DeSantis is the floor, not the ceiling, for what we need to accomplish. We don't have time for this bullcrap. The Republican Party has not changed one iota. Do, do you know you have... Um, Mike Simpson, Idaho, Idaho Republican, he's out there saying the other day, we need to meet to discuss a farm worker 
illegal alien amnesty, slave labor amnesty bill. So this is where we are. We are accomplishing nothing. We have a maggot-infested carcass. We don't have time for entertainment. We don't have time for this bull. Leads me to Memorial Day. You know, the army motto is this will defend. This. Speaking longingly about America, this will defend. Sadly, could we really say that? This will defend this maggot-infested carcass, transgender country, anti-family country, overrun by illegals, Joseph Mengele state. Really? Could we do that? That's the question. An Air Force, uh, active duty Air Force guy, he, he has two years left, just uh, sent me what they're dealing with with this Pride Month business in the Air Force. It's just, it's horrendous. It, it, it's like, it's an obsession that's even worse than Hollywood. The military is now worse than Hollywood. And, and it's truly sad because the sacrifice of our people was greater than any other country. Precisely because we've had these stupid wars where we fought for other people, not ourselves. That doesn't take away from their sacrifice. It just makes it all the more amazing that, you know, like, you know, I think like like Israel has their Memorial Day. But Israel, so it's more direct. I mean, they're a besieger fighting for their lives. Whereas with America, we, we never were fighting for our lives. We have two oceans. We're never about to directly be crushed ourselves. So it's all the more remarkable the amount of people who willingly signed up. By the way, like Ron DeSantis, Harvard, Yale education, went straight from Harvard to the military, could have been earning a lot of money. Now, he was in infantry or artillery. He was a JAG officer, but he was in Ramadi at the worst time. So even people that weren't officially infantry were getting blown up. Um, the sacrifice is unbelievable. Precisely because most people, especially after the draft, didn't have to do this. They didn't have to do it. But I want to read to you some passages from Calvin Coolidge on Memorial Day 1927 at Arlington Cemetery. While the foreign relations of this country are becoming more and more important and constitute a field to which it will be necessary for our government and our people to give more attention, yet it is our domestic affairs that must always assume first rank. Nations which are worn by dissension and discord, which are weakened and efficient at home, have little standing or influence abroad. Even the blind do not choose the blind to lead them. So that's one theme, which I think is very true, which is why now, like, whenever you have a presidential election, everyone wants to talk about foreign policy. But domestic policy is really what matters. But... I want, I want to read to you the key point of Memorial Day. The integrity of the Union rests on the Constitution. Unless that great instrument is to be the supreme law of the land, we could have no Union worthy of our consideration. Meaning, this will, this will defend, right? And, and he goes on to explain the beauty of the Constitution and what it is. We have made our place in the world through the Union and the Constitution. We have flourished as a people because of our success in establishing self-government. 
but all of these results are predicated upon a law-abiding people. If our country should be given over to violence and crime, it would be necessary to diminish the bounds of our freedom to secure order and self-preservation. In whatever direction we may go, we are always confronted with the inescapable conclusion that unless we observe the law, we cannot be free. Unless we are an industrious orderly nation, we can neither minister to our own requirements or be an effective, effective influence for good in the world. All of these th things come from the hearts of the people so long as they have the will to do the right and the determination to make sacrifices, our institutions will stand secure at home and respected abroad. And that's where we are, folks. Will we have even a part of a country worthy of this we'll defend? I'm not even asking to live in a country worthy of dying for. But let's commemorate the sacrifice of those who did die for this once worthy great country by at least trying to make it worth living for. And that requires focus, substance, seriousness, mission, mission-oriented. This is not a vacation. This is not a trip. It's a mission. We're not enjoying politics. We're not enjoying the banter back and forth. What is our mission? Go out, do it, run up the score. And then maybe, then maybe we could say success is attainable and failure is a choice. Hope you guys have a terrific and meaningful Memorial Day weekend to visit with you know, some of these Memorial Day events, veterans events, God, country, family. Let's keep it real. And let's keep the soap opera out of our realm. Till Tuesday. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.